Hello, everybody, and welcome to Strategy Can Be Fun with myself, Keith Bergun, and Brett Lowy. Hi, everybody. So we, this month, or this, yeah, this month, let's say that, we're playing the game Puzzle Strike 2, uh, which we have a lot to say about. Um, it is, uh, it's a, it's a kickstarted tabletop game. Uh, if anyone is familiar with uh, David Serlin's games, this is a new, the newest David Serlin game. He previously has created card games and video games. Originally, uh, he worked on Street Fighter HD Remix and Puzzle Fighter HD Remix, I think it was called. Uh, those were some of his earliest things. Uh, he made the card game Yomi. He made the original Puzzle Strike, of course. Uh, most recently... Uh, besides Puzzle Strike 2, he made uh, a fighting game called Fantasy Strike, which in my opinion is um, probably the best Street Fighter-like. Uh, I don't know if you've played Fantasy Strike at all, Brett. Uh, yeah, a few times. And yeah, I think it's probably my favorite fighting game. And he's done a bunch of other stuff. He, he's a fantastic game designer, uh, Codex, which uh, I've written about and talked about. Another very interesting game that we could probably do a whole podcast on. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating game designer. And so I was very excited when uh, the uh, Kickstarter launched for this game. Uh, reading through the rules, I was really just over the moon. And actually... Uh, very inspired. It's a very inspiring game, I think, uh, for game designers, at least for me. Okay, and his yeah. work his work is always very inspiring to me. That's, that's actually probably one of the biggest compliments I can give him is that when I read his work, I it, read a rule book of his or whatever, it like makes me believe in the power of game design in a way that uh, a lot of other games that maybe, you know, are great games, but they don't do that in the same way. Right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I uh, like that he, he his games are all very unique from kind of the rest of the gaming landscape. And uh, I also appreciate that they're kind of built to last. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of games, especially like board games these days are, well, video games too, actually, are kind of built for novelty factor and like to maximize the first, for a board game, you know, the first zero to ten, one to ten plays or so. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you definitely get the sense with Sterling's games that he's trying to make games that kind of stand up to repeated plays and, and scrutiny and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I mean, his background is in uh, competitive uh, gaming. So like uh, Street Fighter, he was like a really high level Street Fighter player. And um, so he, you know, he is definitely always thinking with his games about like highest level play and what that will be like. And that's, you know, I, I personally am never going to be probably like top tier player in basically any game I play because I just don't play any one game enough to do that. Or I also don't probably have the right mindset for it exactly. But it is really good to know that if I wanted to, that I could, that the ceiling is high, right? Like that there's a lot to learn. Um, yeah. And so that's yeah, great. Like I'm not that competitive either, but um, yeah, there's something nice about like like I do appreciate um, getting familiar with a game. Um, it tends to make it like a lot smoother to play, um, and also just I don't know. There's something that makes it feel like more solid or real when it you know that there's like some headroom above you, um, and that the game's not just gonna fall apart when you find a dominant strategy. Um, you know, whatever, seven plays in or something like that. Yeah, like robust maybe is a good, yeah. you know, it's it's strong. It's a strong thing. And, you know, so it can be a part of your life. It's not going to just like fall fall apart and, you know, in the middle of your experience with it. And um, kind of worth worth trying to understand. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah. Yeah. And there's also something, too, just about like care that the designer care. Yeah. They put so much care into this and the community put so much care, not just the designer, but like everyone who play tested all just were like thinking about this and like, you know, trying to like hone this machine. And there's something really cool about that. Um, when you get it, you're like, man, this is the product of so much you know, thought and revision and iteration and creativity. And uh, so it's very, that's very inspiring in that respect too. Right. Yeah. It's, and it, it kind of points towards like uh, being systemically interesting rather than, you know, content or aesthetically interesting. Mm -hmm. Because what? the systemic type of thing is what would stand up over the repeated plays. So for sure. One more thing I want to say about Serlin as a designer, um, before we get into the, you know, uh, brass tacks of this actual game is that another thing I like about him is that, um, he is a cross, uh, digital and board game designer, which is like kind of unusual, like almost all board game, or, you know, board game designers don't make video games and, uh, video game designers don't make video 
board games, as far as I know. I mean, I can think of a couple of examples, um, but uh, it's not just that. It's that plus the fact that his board games are very video game themed, um, which there's something about that that's very appealing to me. Um, And so uh, I think that's always been a part of what I've liked about his work as well. Yeah, it's not just defaulting to the kind of like standard Euro, uh, Euro game tropes or whatever, or, you know, like uh, trading in the Mediterranean or, uh, or you know, like the standard Ameritrash tropes, like fantasy or space or whatever. It's like, it's kind of, they're kind of weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like there's gems and stuff and yeah, video gamey. It's just different, which is refreshing. For sure. Um, okay, so let's start by talking about the things that we like about this game. I guess I'll let you start with uh, some some of the things that you liked about this game. Sure. Um, yeah, well, okay, so this, you know, this month or whatever, or th- this couple weeks I've been playing this game, um, I've kind of been thinking about this idea of um, strategic context or uh, situationality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been trying to figure out how to explain it, but here, here's what I got. Um Basically, it's an element of the game state that changes how you evaluate a particular option. So, like, you might have an op- a card in the game that you might pick, okay? So, sure. the, you know, there's a, there's a card called Roundhouse in Puzzle Strike 2. Um, but, and so, the, con- the strategic context is things that make Roundhouse better or things that make Roundhouse worse based on your board position, based on your opponent's board position, based on the game state in general. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the good thing about having strategic context like this is that it makes the choices more situational. So rather than like just following a strict tier list of like the different level power levels of the cards, you actually have to evaluate the option within the particular context or the particular situation that you find yourself in. Right. And so the good thing about that is that it reduces like the solvedness of the game. Like you can't just like rank order the cards and then just do a flow chart. Um, and then, so that kind of keeps it in the playful strategy game space rather than becoming more puzzly. And also, it just kind of naturally increases the variety uh, of the game because, you know, encountering the same card over and over each time you encounter it is different because of the context, basically. Right. So a good point of contrast for that point would be like Dominion playing with the same market every time or something, right? Where you uh, there is just kind of like a tier list for that that market. And like there's you know, there's there's a little bit of stuff that maybe contextualizes what it means to get a certain type of card on a certain turn or whatever. But um, for the most part, it's largely you can just build that tier list and work off of that. Right, and in that Dominion example, like all the context is dumped on you right at the start. Like you get your ten Kingdom cards or whatever, and then, uh, like the the options available, the cards available in the game don't change over the course of the game. So it's like you get this huge wave of context, and then like a little drip of context from like your hands, the input randomness of your hands over the course of the game. Right. Um, which is kind of like uneven, I guess, unevenly, unevenly distributed context, I guess. Right. And then like, so Puzzle Strike 1 is like a good step in that direction right. coming from Dominion because, okay, there's a red card or let's say there's a blue card. Blue cards react to red cards in the game. They're kind of like reaction cards. So if I see you buying some reds, well, now the valuation of blue cards has gone up a little bit. So there's like a bunch of those systems in Puzzle Strike 1 that are helping to uh, inform those decisions and create context for them so that the evaluation is a lot more complex right and then like a one of the david serlin staples is the asymmetric character powers basically right and so those are also a good example of like creating context um because you know based on our matchup between our two characters you know the valuation of all the other cards is can vary quite a bit for sure now the downside is that you know if we're just picking the characters from a bank right at the beginning of the game we don't have a lot of context to make that decision because right. the game hasn't started yet. But after we've chosen the characters, they are providing context at that point. Um, yes. So anyway, um, if there's too little context in a, in a game, or in a particular game state or for a particular decision, um, the decisions can kind of feel like either arbitrary because like I don't know how to base this decision off of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can feel kind of like solved, like like the tier list rank ordering kind of thing. It's like... You know, sure. this card X is is always better than card Y or whatever. But then on the flip side, if there's too much or the context is like too detailed, it feels like work to like parse through it. So it's like um, if there's just a huge market of context of cards or whatever, 
then I have to like, I feel like as a player, I have to go through them in order to make the decision in an intelligent way. Um, and that can start to feel like work. Uh, yeah. Too much of that. Anyway, you asked me what I liked about the game. <laughs> it was your original <laughs> question. And so one thing I really like about it is that it works in context in a lot of intelligent ways. Um, and so, for example, um, it has like a flowing card market um, where cards, um, the the older cards are cheaper and then the, the newer cards that come out are more expensive. But as the as cards get picked, they become less expensive over time. Um, and so this is the same mechanic as was in Through the Ages last week, actually. Um, and so that flowing card market means that there's kind of new context being added all the time. But it don't, but because the the newer cards that are getting added are more expensive, they're not as relevant to the situation. And so you have time to like kind of um, <laughs> evaluate them more strongly as the game progresses. And so that's good. And, yeah, and that... Plus, it's kind of like a good number. There's like five cards in the market. And that's like kind of in that sweet spot of like not too much context and not too little yeah that that market and the way that it uh relates to gems and how the gems drop and uh that that's probably like my favorite thing about the game uh, like the, the most brilliant move in the whole game's design i think um and yeah like you say like um the cards that are there are going to inform the um so it's not just like oh do i want this card based on the current game state it's also uh they're also informed by that price modifier and then they're also informed by the color of the cards in order is going to determine the gem colors that drop perhaps we should give a little bit of um information about that so in Puzzle Strike 1, you just had uh, gems that were all one color, and then you could combine them to make bigger gems. They had these combined cards. And in this game, it's uh, there are four colors of gems instead, and they're kind of coming down in sort of semi-random order, and... Uh, gems of the same color just are combined. Like they're they're just they're combined by the fact that they are the same color and adjacent to each other. So the the basic if you've never played Puzzle Strike, the basic idea of the game is you're sending gems to each other. Like picture in um, you know Dr. Mario or Tetris or whatever a game like that where you're sending sort of garbage to each other. Um, and so you're sending the gems back and forth, and the objective is to uh, cause the other players um, gem meter to like overfill, you know, overflow by the end of their turn. Uh, and then you win. So that's like the, the, at the very basic level. So you can understand like some of the gem dynamics sort of. So <clears throat> when you drop gems on an enemy, uh, when they drop gems, they drop them in the order of the cards that are in the market. So if it's like pink, you know, blue, blue, pink, green, then you would drop the gems in that order on top of your stack. And so what that means is, and and the reason I think it's so brilliant is um, that it's it's a, a contextualizing thing, but it's not complex. It's it's not too, too much because it's just a color. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if that had been like some effect that happens, right? Some like wild thing, like, you know, like you play some other card whenever you play this card uh, or whenever you take this card, you play some other card like uh, it could have been too much. But just changing the order of the colors uh, is is in that sweet spot, I think. I completely agree. Um, there's something about like context that you want to add where you want to keep it a little bit fuzzy or vague or simple, kind of kind of like what you're saying. And I think, you know, it's a little hard to like point out exactly what this is for like every game but it often represents itself as like colors of cards or like suits of cards or like classes of, of, of things or um you know like in magic you have like the different creature types or that kind of thing mm -hmm. or the different spell types um that's kind of like the right sort of level of resolution that you want to like apply a lot of the context um in a lot of these situations i think um whereas if we when we start talking about like particular card effects um that's uh, when we start to get into more work, more complicated type of evaluation, more parsing. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, so let, let me go through my list of things that I, I liked about this game, because there's a there's a good number of things that I really I mean, for, so I should also mention that I am a huge Puzzle Strike one player. Uh, I've been playing it for for 10 years, just about. And uh, I'd still play it now. I play it against the bots on the digital version, like all the time. It's, it makes for a really good little kind of solitaire like experience. Like the, the bots are not hard to beat at all. But, you know, it's just kind of fun to kind of go through it and like um, 
not necessarily a competitive-ish way, but like it's just a fun system to interact with. So I really, really like Puzzle Strike 1 a lot. Um, and so for me, what was so cool about it was seeing, and I, I should also mention that I've, over the years, worked on, I, I worked on a game, uh, it's actually up on itch still, it's called Splash Clash on Lake Street, people can check it out, it's, it's unfinished, but I was working on a game that was sort of like a Puzzle Strike 1.5, like, I was trying to make a game that would improve upon two or three of the things that I saw as like, you know, could be improved upon in Puzzle Strike 1. And so for me, it was also just really amazing to see here's where that design can get in like, you know, how many, however many years it's been. Um, and uh, so there are just so many things uh, in this game. So one example is uh, the we already talked about the removal of Combine. There were combined cards that would combine things. This game doesn't need that because it, it has a more elegant solution. It also got rid of crash gems, sort of. Like, it used to be that you had to buy a crash gem every X turns. Like, I don't know, every three or four turns, depending on how the game is going, you had to sort of buy a crash gem or else you would just die, uh, which was kind of weird, especially for newer players. Um, and now they, it's just a, it's a, it's a different system. Crashes are sort of embedded in other ab abilities and in other, you know, there isn't just explicit crash gems. Uh, so, so it's, there's just a lot more, it's a lot more sort of embedded in the rest of the system, which I think is a lot smarter. Um, they also got rid of the whole arrow color thing. Um, there was, it used to be that there were four colors of arrows and those would be actions that you could gain that you could use on other things. And you would just start with one action and then you would need to like chain these arrows, which there is something fun about that, that I, I kind of miss actually. Um, there, there is something really cool about that, but I think that what he has now, you just start with three actions. There's no longer colored actions. You just start with three actions and you can play three cards from your hand. Um, whereas, you know, in Puzzle Strike 1, there were more situations where maybe you just kind of couldn't play anything on your turn uh, or you could just really screw yourself in a lot more ways. Um, so I think it, it's a lot smoother in a certain way because of things like the... Um, I don't know. It just it just feels like a more advanced, more evolved design overall because of how players can just kind of play, um, and they're not going to screw themselves over in those uh, ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a little bit of a finickiness element to like the different colored arrows, um, and it it does like serve to, you know, limit your options a little bit um, in a way that you know maybe cuts down on some of the huge chaining combos uh, that are pretty prevalent in Puzzle Strike 2. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, while we're on the topic of um, cool stuff from Puzzle Strike 2, um, and I guess Puzzle Strike 1 as well, is like, they're both pretty good examples of like the strategy triangle. Um, yes. Like the the strategy dance type of thing. Um, it's typically referred to as like rush, econ, and defense. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a bit of a misnomer, but maybe we can get into that today or another day. But, um, but anyway, like both of these games are like pretty good examples of this thing. Like where you know if my opponent is rushing down quite a bit, um, then you can kind of go defense to uh, counteract that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go too much defense, then you're kind of susceptible to uh, them building up an economy and kind of crushing you uh, in the short, uh, medium term. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, both games are pretty good examples of that. And Puzzle Absolutely. Strike also continues that. Yeah, I mean, Puzzle Strike 1 was very formative for me, actually, in that regard. And that, like, I I really don't know if I played a game that did such a good job of being a dance around that triangle. You right. know what I mean? Where, like, okay, you're starting to lean a little bit in this direction, so I lean a little bit in the counter direction, and then you lean a bit in the third direction. And I, you know, and we get that kind of, like, a constant leaning thing happening in Puzzle Strike 1 uh, that I really, really like a lot. I'm not as sure, we'll get into this when we get into some of our critiques, but I'm not as sure that Puzzle Strike 2 has that quite as much or as clearly as Puzzle Strike 1 does. Um, but uh, in some ways it makes it more clear by like kind of color coding things a bit more clearly perhaps. Um, but uh, but yeah, we, we'll talk about that when we get to the critique section. 
another thing that I really like about Puzzle Strike 2 is um, there's something about the gem pile with the different colors that's just very satisfying to do. It looks good. It like feels fun to like move them around and reorganize them and get like a nice like big chunky combo going, which um, it's the same like brain engine uh, feel as, you know, when you are playing like a Dr. Mario or even like a Bejeweled, when you create a big chain of the same color, there's something very satisfying about that. And yet I, I don't I don't know if I've seen a tabletop game really do it quite uh, get that feeling exactly the same. So I think it's it's a lot of things. It's 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 the specific colors and the components that uh he made I think were fantastic there. Um that's that's probably like for me the gem pile is actually like kind of the star of the show. Um I already said that the market was like my favorite thing from a design perspective, but just from like a product and like player use perspective, the gem pile is 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 so fantastic and I really really like it a lot. For sure. Yep, agreed. Uh, I got a couple more uh, positives. Uh, well, really, just mainly one more. But what do you got? Uh, for more positive things, I mean, yeah, I, I also have the note about swapping the gems, feeling good. Um, yep. And making those big combos. Um, and, and yeah, I guess just in general, like you can do some like big chaining turns in this game, mm -hmm. uh, where you like chain an action into doing more actions and that sort of thing. Um, like for example, like when you crash a whole bunch of one color of gems at your opponent, you can yeah. do fill up these gauges uh, for super moves, and this, so there's four different colors of super moves because there's four different colors of gems, and uh, so yeah, you can often chain like a crash of say purple gems into then doing the purple super move, um, or you can do a a big crash of pink gems, um, and then the pink super move lets you get more actions and draw more cards, which lets you do more things, which could involve like more crashes and that kind of thing. And uh, at least some of the time, it feels really good to do a big combo um, and and chain moves like that. Yeah, I was going to mention my last point was on the supers, which there is a lot I like about the super system. My biggest so for people who don't haven't played the game, uh, the way it works is let's say you crash three green gems at somebody. So they get three gems coming at them in a color that's determined by the colors in the market. They're not green when they hit them um, necessarily. And also those three green gems that you crashed go into your super meter. The super meter has four different colors, one for each color, uh, four different like rows, one of each color, and uh, needs four gems in it to activate. And when there's four gems in it, it activates. Um, and there's four different powers. One of the powers will send uh, three gems of specific colors on top of the opponent's uh, thing, so just like gumming them up. One of them lets you destroy all gems of a given color uh, in your own pile, so it's like a big you know, defensive save my ass kind of thing. Uh, one of them gives you extra actions and cards, you just mentioned that one. And then the last one lets you play a, a, a market card. Um, uh, take one to your hand and and uh, and play it. So um, the the I have some critiques about the super system for sure. And we'll we'll get into that in our critique ses section. But the basic concept that every time you do a crash, you're getting something, and it's uh, you know the original puzzle strike you would get one gold for doing it, which is like okay, uh, that's fine I guess, but like it doesn't really. It doesn't feel good. Whereas when you crash like four or five gems in a row and you get a super, you know, you can actually loop it around and get like a super and a half, um, things like that. Uh, that feels really good. And the other thing that I love about it is that it's these resources that are ticking up turn after turn. There's more and more resources getting added to this uh, this grid, but you don't have to really pay any attention to it until it fills up. That's like a brilliant aspect of it. None of the, it doesn't really matter if it's one or if it's three or if it's two. All that matters really is if it's four. And what that and so that's fairly distinct from if you had, let's say, like four gem piles and you had to be really conscious of like the different colors and how many of them you had, you know, and like, oh, it matters that I have two of these now because I can blankety blank or you know what I mean? Like it's a resource that only matters if it's four, <laughs> which uh, th so it, you can really keep it out of your brain for most of the game. And I think that's um, that's a fantastic thing about it. Right. And, and like the four colors of the gems, uh, it's providing the right kind of fidelity of 
of, of context for me, you know, like that there's four, you know, and yeah. so, you know, crashing purple gems feels significantly different from crashing blue gems. Um, and, you know, there's all that situ good situationality baked into that kind of thing um, because the four supers are, have different powers. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think we mentioned this at the beginning, but my last little note I had is just, I like how weird it is. It is very much a Serlin game, you know, it, it, it right. definitely meets that criteria. In fact, if anything, it's maybe it's, it might even be his weirdest game yet. Um, the Serlingist game. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, you know, that is definitely to its credit. Um, and we haven't even talked about the wand actually. The wand is like the big, like, you know, visual selling point where you, right one player has this thing called the scepter i think it's called and um it's really just a like a it's kind of like a first player token type of thing but like whoever has that at the end of the other player's turn uh they can choose to either give up the wand or they can fill up their um power meter um you know they can get one of each super in their super meter one gem of each color in their super meters so uh and then the downside to having the wand is when you get crashed gems at you, uh, they don't immediately fall. Usually, um, you have some time to block them playing by playing block cards on your turn. It's a little bit complicated. Definitely go check out the rule book for the details on that. But the, the basic thrust is if you have the wand, you can't really block gems. So they just fall right on you. So basically you're, you're powering up your supers, but at the cost of you can't really block gems. So it's this high risk, high reward um, thing. And you're sort of passing it on and off back and forth between players. It's a, it's a, I'm bringing it up in terms of it's very weird. Uh, and yes, it is. <laughs> it's partially there for three and four player games. I think that's the context we're in. It makes the most sense. Um, but it works in two player. I think we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, how, how it works and you know, how it maybe doesn't work. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a super weird game. I recommend game designers definitely check it out and, you know, uh, yeah, get, get a copy if you can. Um, so now let's get into our critiques unless you have any other things you want to say. Yeah. Well, I, I guess just to summarize, I, I really like the way that this game handles context for the most part, like the, the context of the, the flowing card row, I like a lot more than the the big chunky context of having the whole bank decided at once, like in Puzzle Strike 1 or Dominion. Um, the way that that context uh, interfaces with the drop pattern order, um, I really like. Um, yeah, the context of the gem colors corresponding to the super moves is really good. Mm -hmm. Just the character powers provide a lot of context. Um, yeah, I really like the way it handles context in general. Sweet. So what is... Well, let's get into the critiques. Uh, what what is your what do you, do you have a main critique of the game, like a main issue that uh, you think could be improved on, or what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, as we kind of learned the game and got better at it, uh, we played probably what fifteen times or so, um, something like that. Yeah. So, but as we kind of progressed, um, I found that like we were getting better at like doing these long chaining combos uh, on our turns. And because of that, um, it sort of opened the door to some of the horsemen of work, um, basically. Um, there's the, the amount of look ahead you can do is, is pretty high in some situations. And then more than that, you kind of uh, get like a context overload in certain situations. So let, let me explain a little bit what I mean. So for example, you can crash. Um, you might have a crash gem in your hand, and you might be comparing it to another type of effect that you could do, OK? so. But then if you're considering as one of your options crashing pink gems, um, the the pink super move is to gain two energy and draw two cards. Okay, so you can do two more moves and you can draw two cards of your deck and add those as options, right? So the, the fundamental problem is that when I'm comparing uh, doing that pink move to doing a different kind of move, I have to take into account the context of like my entire deck uh, and like what options I might draw. Um, which is just like a very high resolution amount of context. Um, and so at least for me, as I like started getting a little bit better at the game and started considering that type of thing when making decisions, it made it kind of feel a bit onerous to just to figure out even like what game state I'll be in if I, if I do this pink crash and like what my options might be at that point. Or, or another maybe even clearer example is the green super move power is to take any card from the card market and so there's five cards and play it for free. 
And so that means if I'm considering the green super as one of my options, crashing green gems and activating the green super, um, then I have to parse every single card in the market and uh, compare that to like the number of actions I have left and think about like what the ramifications of that card might be. And if that card has a crash effect too, that could also result in like returning to the beginning of the chain and drawing more cards and doing more effects. And so just the, the, the chain of look ahead and like different options that I can do can be a little bit overwhelming at times because of the nature of like the pink and the green super moves kind of allowing you to continue your combo. Um, and just that when the way that they allow you to continue your combo is bringing in a whole bunch of extra high detail context, namely like card powers from either the market or from your deck, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, so taking a step back, like, you know, it is definitely a thing in the deck builder genre that like you have these like super turns, right? Where you're like, right. you're drawing cards, you're playing things, blah, 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 blah. Like, and that's been a thing that people have loved about this genre ever since it was invented. Um, oh. And um, so I think that there was a choice made in this game to kind of like really kind of, you know, dive in that direction and like, like, you know, I think at one point, I don't know if it was uh, in his discord or in somewhere in the marketing materials or whatever, but like Sterlin has talked about like how, you know, uh, you'll be so you'll have so many gems coming at you that the only thing you can hope for is like a miracle. Right. And by a miracle, he means like kind of what you were just talking about, that there's going to be all this, like these cards that you're going to draw and you're going to play this thing from the market. And that's going to let you, you know, do these two weird things. And then, the, you know, like you get this giant, um, uh, you know, expressive, like, I, I, like it just, it's explosion of complexity. And, 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 you know, I, I've described this to some people and they've been like, well, that sounds good actually. And I understand why uh, people would say that's good. And, and maybe that would be just a straight up a good thing for some players. But um, for me, uh, I mean, the, the the basic issue is that one player turns are too, too, too long. Um, just generally speaking, they're too long and too much state can change in one turn, which leads to another issue, which is that the games in terms of number of turns in a game are probably too short. I mean, I think a lot of our games were like three, you know, like like we would each get like three turns, four turns, maybe five turns. Um, and you didn't, we didn't get very deep into the deck and we didn't like there wasn't I feel that there's not because of that, like hyper super super combo sort of element of it. I feel like there's not enough opportunity for we were talking about that puzzle strike one dance that can happen. I felt like there's not enough opportunity for that. Instead, it just sort of feels like, you know, I do a turn, you do a turn, that our first couple turns are kind of normal and down to earth. And then even by turn two, it's like starting to get like pretty intense. And then like you get a ton of gems and now you do like a miracle turn and then I do a miracle turn and then like the game is over basically. And um, so I have two problems with that. The miracle turns one, one is that the turns just take way too long and it creates anxiety in me. Like, so when I'm playing with a person, uh, in real time, and I, I guess I could mention that some of these problems maybe wouldn't really be so much a problem if the game had either async online play or bots or both. Um, but right now you can just play against other people. And, you know, one of my feelings while I'm sitting there going through all these possibilities and like then drawing more cards and now going back to the beginning of the loop. That's how you put it at one point that some of those cards like you're on this like big chain and then you draw more cards or you go and look at the market and that creates this other. Now we're like sort of back to the beginning, you know, in some sense, because now I have more actions and I have more things. And it's like, oh, my God. And it it's it's not an entirely positive experience because a I'm feeling a little bit anxious that my turn is taking too long. B it's like calculation-y and worky a little bit in the way that you talked about. And, um, and C it's just like, I get all these, all these effects are happening, but I'm just kind of like doing what I can do. There isn't a whole lot of, uh, I don't know. There's there's not as much actually strategy expression in those super hyper mega turns. I'm just kind of like doing all the things, you know, and like sort of hoping that 
uh, it'll go good. You know, like obviously I'm shooting as many gems as you as I, at you as I can. And if I can gain some like valuable cards along the way or trash a couple cards here or, you know, I, I basically do all the things I can do. Um, and I guess the argument would be that like, uh, yes, but the, the strategy is more in the picking of the cards from the market. Um, I think that's really where the strategy comes in more is like what cards are you actually adding to your deck? But um, it just kind of gets a little bit swallowed up, I think, by that insane level of combos, uh, which, you know, uh, the the Scepter kind of adds to in a way because one of the two players is just getting free super meter every turn. So that's just meaning that there's just more supers going off and, so, and the supers are are, you know, especially that green and pink super are like really major culprits in if this game is at all too combo-y, um, which there is a such a thing as too combo-y. Like, I know people love combos. I love combos. Uh, some of the Puzzle Strike 1 combos were very in intense. I don't know if you remember, there were gold cards uh, that you could get for like, you know, 10 or 12 uh, gold, very late game. And some of them would say, you know, like there was one, I forget what it was called, but it was like, play one, like take as many chips from the bank as you want and play one of each of them or something, you know? So it was kind of like one of those, you might want to go grab a sandwich uh, cards. And this game feels like that, like not that infrequently. So that that's my biggest complaint. And there's a bunch of different things to play into that, but uh, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you t you mentioned like you feel like your turns maybe maybe uh, tell me if this is right like you're are kind of playing themselves or you're kind of just going through the motions or or doing the best you can with the situation and pushing as many gems as you can, because um, for me at least like it felt it felt like in a lot of situations there there's a bunch of open open information available to me that I could take into account but it would take a long time yeah and so like as a particular example like if you hold onto the scepter right uh during the like right at the start of your turn basically or the end of your opponent's turn you get to fill each of your super meters once right and so that might put me in a situation where you know i'm now able to do the pink super on my turn or the green super on my turn or something like that right and yeah. if i don't if i don't keep the scepter then I, I won't be able to do those things um so now i'm parsing like what would it mean what would the implications be of like triggering the pink super and like thinking through the implications of what that might mean is like, you know, a lot of effort. Yeah. Or like thinking about like the, the implications of what what doing the green super, the trick shot would mean is like, it could mean a lot of things because it could be another crash. It could be, you know, some of the cards let you play other cards like the gift cards, um, or, or or cards would let you uh, take more actions or draw more cards. <laughs> you know, so like, it it felt like oftentimes I'd be considering between, you know even like as few as two options like like keep the scepter or or not right but thinking through each of those branches of the tree is like so there's so far ahead that i could look if, if i wanted to or if i whatever if i had the time like you're, yeah. you know there's a bit of a social constraint because the two players or whatever that would sure, be sure. amazing but i'm I, I still really wouldn't want to do all that look ahead yeah um, and so I was thinking about like you're right like in Dominion say like the the grandfather of deck builders um, combo turns were like a big thing and a big part of the enjoyment right like big long super turns um, but at least in the base set of Dominion like like uh, one of the cornerstones of that type of play is like the card village right which like gives you two more actions unless you draw a card and so I think part of what works about village in that context is like there's no like reason not to play village or like you're not weighing it against something else, you know, hmm. like, you just play the card because sure. it replaces itself and you get more actions. Right. And so it's like fueling your combo turn. So it's not like the same amount of like angst about like, hmm. what are all the potential like future implications of like getting these extra actions or whatever, because I can just like take the extra actions and then figure that out later. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. 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 In this game, if I don't parse the tree before I do it, I might just miss like a whole, crazy thing that i could do and it's not like there's going to be more cards that get flipped up or whatever that that change my evaluation it's like just given the card market that i can see right now mm -hmm. there's there might be a crazy move that i could do if i just like take the time to like look around and like like see it you know what i mean yeah, yeah. that's what feels onerous to me 
Oh yeah, and and I just realized like so something like trick shot. That's the green super. So yeah. I mentioned that you can send two. You can trigger your super multiple times in a turn. Even from yeah. one crash, it could trigger it twice. Um, and so trick shot is a thing that lets you take a card from the bank and play it. And God knows what's on that card. It could be all kinds of things. Um, and then immediately after that, you slide the cards over and you draw out another card. So right. now there's literally a card from not just from the market, but from the deck of cards that makes the market that's just come out. That is also sort of like returning you back to square one in terms of your like super combo turn. Um, I also wanted to quickly make clear, just in case anyone who does play the game is listening, uh, we played with the base uh, deck. And, and that's another thing that we both really like about the, the game is that in Puzzle Strike 1, it had this really maddening thing, which I really did not like about Puzzle Strike 1, where you would have to pick all the cards. I think that's from Dominion as well. Yeah, Dominion was the same way. You could just like pick which cards were in the market. And there's no like... There's no rhyme or reason or like way in which you're supposed to pick those. You just kind of pick them. Uh, it's actually kind of more of a game designer's role, I feel like, to like pick those cards. But anyway, you had to do that to play. And in Puzzle Strike 2, they got that's not a thing at all. There are just these fixed decks. And yes, you can pick from the fixed decks. But um, one thing that's kind of nice is that there's one deck, the starting deck, is it seems to me that that's supposed to be like the base deck you know so right. if you don't want to make a choice there you just play with that and that's great and the, there's no other customization required really um and that's fantastic so i just want to make clear though because we're talking so much about combos that we only played with the birthday bash deck which is the second deck that he released um we only played with that one time and that's the one that has these presents and presents are uh you draw a card and you can play it for free um or I think it's actually you draw a card and you play it. It's like not even, I don't even know if it's, man, it's might be mandatory. But the point is, that's like the super, 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 super combo-y version of the game. And we only played that once and we're not really talking about that when we're talking about um, uh, this game. Right. And it's funny too, because like the, the, the presence in particular, like they do like make your combo go along. They don't have the same parsing problem of like, I have to think through the ramifications of True. what the card might be. Because it's automatic. Because, like, you just play the card yeah. but it does have like a kind of like separate but semi-related problem of like it can just get hard to like figure out the resolution order of effects yes because like you could be playing card a that has like two presents on it right and then that card a you you're activating the first present and that crashes gems right sure you crash the gems to your opponent and that fills up say your trick shot super meter okay so now it's like uh oh okay yeah, right. Like, what do you do? And so there are, you know, it, it turns out that, like, you do your super moves after you finish the, the combo chain. Um, but even without that, it's like, okay, then you go back to, it's like, now I'm finished resolving the crash. Then I go back to the first present. And maybe that present triggers a card that also does two presents, right? Right. And so now, like, I'm back in the chain. It's like, okay, there's just like a... I don't know, like finding your place type of feeling. Like where yeah. were we in, in the resolution? Order in the recursive things? loops, you know, like it reminds me of like recursive coding blocks where you're just like right. trying to reparse where, like what step you were in before you like to resolve. Um, yeah. So I agree. And I, I you know, I, I sort of feel like a, a game design like lesson here is that like, um, of course, there's too much. There's such a thing as too much combos. Like, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of people who are like, well, combos are good and, you know, uh, they're fun. So this has uh, you're saying has too many combos. Well, that just sounds great. It's like, no, there, there is such a thing as too many, too much combo ness. Uh, and of course, that's a very that's a very broad uh, description of the issue. But like I, if I had to tell someone in one sentence, you know, what's my biggest issue with Puzzle Strike 2 it would be like, it's too combo-y. Like, it's just too... It's it's all the things we talked about in terms of calculation, in terms of, like, um, you know, uh, just time, the amount of time you have to spend on your turn. Um, yeah. I, I really wish it was chilled out. And I have a couple of ideas of how one would go about doing that. Um, namely, I really want the, the supers, uh, particularly the green and pink super, to be going off less frequently and or... 
putting some other limitations on them, like maybe the pink one only gives you one action and two cards, or, you know, um, I, I'm not sure, but like, I, I'm a little skeptical that four is the right number for all four uh, supers. Like, it seems to me that, you know, that one of them could have five or require five or one could require six. It also seems to me that, you know, the game would work well and be maybe interesting, maybe even better if you just deleted one of the supers. Like, if one of the gems was just removed from the game when it was crashed, um, that would that would mean something different. That's you know, it's, it doesn't have to be that all of them trigger a super. I don't know. There's there's definitely a lot of like interesting levers to pull, and and this is the kind of thing that I love about Sterling's games is like they get me thinking along those lines a lot um, yeah. for both you know good reasons where I'm like, oh my god, this is brilliant. I want to use this mechanism in another game or. Oh my god, this is brilliant, but it needs like I think it needs like this kind of tweak or or something like that. Yeah, like yeah, totally. Like I, I kind of agree that like the pink if the if the pink and green powers are, are gonna be in the game, like I, I agree that maybe they should go off less often and that would like help mitigate the issue. But I, I think I might even go farther, like I feel like those should maybe like if I was, you know, designing the game, like I feel like those would uh maybe be good for a, a redesign um yeah in some way that like doesn't provide more choices after the thing or or specifically that doesn't require you to like take into account more high deal or more high resolution context um like trickshot and Ener energize do um like for example like if energize was like the gift power for example mm -hmm. like where you just like flip a card off the top of the deck right like right. i don't really have anything to take into account there you know like yeah you just do it and hope that it goes well kind of thing right <laughs> um Whereas, like, with Trickshot, like, I really feel like I should at least read the five cards, you know, and figure sure. out like, what potentially they could be. Um, yeah, or especially, like, um, there's a diamond in the game, which is, like, the second, like, if you're not the first player, you get this diamond, which lets you, like, one time during the game do any super move uh, on your turn. And so, like, as, whenever you have the diamond, you, you always have access to Energize or Trickshot. And so, yeah. it's, like, all of that context is constantly pulled into the game right yeah like you never you you should always be thinking about like what the implications are of drawing two cards and getting two energy or playing any one of the five market cards which is just like too much context <laughs> thinking about it more like actually so if you think about those other two supers the purple and blue supers those are fantastic i love them because yeah. they they work so well in the game because but I, so there's two ways i can talk about why they're great one is they're just simpler right like you put these three gems on top of their pile. End of story. The other one is you uh, take out all the gems of one color of your pile. Boom. But, you know, and when you think about it, those two things are specific actions. They are actual yeah. things that the super says to do. Whereas the other two things are actually more like resources. They're saying, like, take a card and play it or take two cards and two actions. So I think really the way forward for if they were to do like a second edition or something like what I would recommend would be um, make the green and pink ones more like the blue and uh, purple in that they're specific things that would happen. Right. So yeah. it could be like, you know, crash three I don't know. It could be all kinds of things, but it has to be something specific that doesn't like balloon the decision tree more. Right. Yeah. Or like, even if energize was like, just gave you actions and not cards, then right. you would just have to consider the cards that were already in your hand. Yes. Or if it just gave you cards and not actions, then you would have to consider like, okay, I don't have that much action economy or whatever, like something like that. Um, yeah. Or if trick shot was just like play the first or the second card in the market or something like that. It's like, it wouldn't be as much as much crazy context or yeah like i like suggested if it was like one if it was the gift effect like where you just flip over a card and resolve that like you could still preserve yeah i think there's ways to preserve the combo-iness without having so much look ahead yeah yeah for sure um yeah so is that all you want to say about the combo-iness because i have a couple of other notes yeah go ahead um actually yeah so uh well we talked a little bit about the wand um, the scepter. Uh, I think, you know, for me, if I was house ruling it, I would just be like, you know what, let's just play without the scepter and the diamond, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. um, because I mean, the big reason is the one we've already talked about, which is that it causes supers to go off more frequently, which I, I feel like is a net negative. But the, the second reason is, 
you know, I, I think blocking is like cool. I really like the idea of blocking in the game and you can't block when you're holding the scepter. And so it's like this, it's this weird game deforming thing. And I definitely see why it would be there in three and four player. And I think that's the reason it was added in the first place was for, and we should also mention, we only played two player. So it sure. could be that, you know, it's a very different experience in three and four player for a bunch of reasons that are not clear to us because we have not played three and four player. So take our uh, feedback with a, you know, a grain of salt. I think Puzzle Trek 1 was much more designed as a two player game. Um, so I, I'm sort of judging this as a two player game. So from a two player perspective, I think I think you it seems like and maybe we should test it out at some point, but it seems like you could just delete the wand, delete the diamond for two player. And I, I would maybe prefer that because I just kind of want to play the game. I don't want to make that weird command decision. It feels so um, it feels like this big binary choice. And so yeah. many times that someone loses or wins, it's just because they chose wrong on that choice. Whereas, and that's just like, that's not as satisfying as just losing because, you know, the dynamics of the game as they are. It's too much of a, so when we talk about that dance, right? Well, th that's what I love about Puzzle Strike is that you're you're having this like sort of long protracted dance around the triangle. And the, the, um, the wand is like this big weight that you're like dropping on one side of the triangle and they're like ugh, shoving it over to the other side. And so it's really distorting that dance in like a very, strong way and so I, I i sort of think for two players um i i would i would prefer not to have it yeah it, it definitely seems to exacerbate the problem of like the look ahead for energize and trick shot uh, as well um because like when you're making the command decision you're really looking at like where your energize and trick shot meters are at and like whether you're going to be able to activate them if you keep the scepter and that kind of thing yeah and like i, I like the word you use like of deforming like it really it really does seem to deform like the game state. Like whenever I notice the scepter doing things, it feels like, oh, like like arbitrary in a way, or like like like, uh, I don't know, like disconnected. Doesn't, it's doesn't belong. Yeah. 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 Um, and then and then when you bring the scepter in, then you have the diamond, right? Which is also exacerbating the the look ahead problems. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, it, it, you know, like with all the combo stuff. Sometimes you play the diamond and it's super fun because like you can do the miracle turn and get out of a tight spot and that's sweet. You know, it's like, uh, like you know, you feel like you have no hope and then you find a way out and it feels very like exhilarating, mm -hmm. um, and that's cool. But just as often, it seems to uh, exacerbate the look ahead problems and yeah, like just deform like everything else that's going on. Like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the card context and like the characters and the strategy dance and stuff. And then, yeah, it's like the scepter just comes in the room and like just bullies all that and says like, hey, none of that matters. Like, let's look at the scepter now. Right, right. And the games, I wish they were just longer. I wish there was more turns, you know. Um, so in, in a way, I, I just wish there was more puzzle strike. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, did you have any other critique points that you wanted to raise? Uh, no, not really. Uh, nothing big. Like, I guess I can just mention briefly, like, um, some of the rules were a bit unintuitive to learn, um, I think. Uh, but one way that I think to mitigate that a little bit is like the the player mats, I think, don't have a lot of like information on them. Um, mm. This is more of a development uh, comment anyway, rather than like a design comment. But, you know, I, I think the player mats could have more useful information on them and it would help a little bit with onboarding. Um, mm. That's kind of a minor criticism. Yeah, I, I have a few other minor critiques. I, I for some reason I, I I maybe I need to play more still, but I the characters I feel like some of them it they don't feel like they have quite as much identity maybe as in uh the other game, and I'm not sure why that is. I think you know what it is. I think it's just that those super combos they just they sort of flatten everything everything else yeah. like the the characters the the you know the the color uh nature of your deck that you've been building how many wounds you have like we've talked a little bit about wounds in this game or uh are they called wounds in this game yeah they are I think um it's wounds, yeah. yeah and like you know i love arg i love playing arg and like giving tons of wounds and stuff but like it sort of doesn't feel like it does all that much in this game because the games are so short and because the combos are so incredibly powerful that they sort of flatten everything else a little bit. Um, so it's actually hard for me to, to make other criticisms because it could be that if that combo thing were sort of pulled back a little bit, 
that all the other elements in this system could really shine a lot more. And I guess that's that's probably at the end of the day, my my biggest critique is that I think that there's the systems here are not sort of being allowed to be their best selves um, because of that, you know, because of just the what we've been talking about, this this major two combo e critique. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I supported the Kickstarter, and I will definitely be getting a copy. And I'm I'm really excited to try it out in real life. And um, I really hope that they make an async and bot version of the game because, like I said, I played Puzzle Strike Two, uh, Puzzle Puzzle Strike One for ten years. And you know, if this game is uh, has a has either of those options, I, I certainly will uh, play it a ton um, going forward. So I don't know. Any last thoughts you have that you want to share about Puzzle Strike Two? Yeah, like certainly in terms of strategic context, it does like a lot of brilliant things. I think like with the drop pattern and the and the the card colors and uh, the gem colors, um, and yeah, just like the flowing card market and stuff. I think uh, there's a lot to like here for sure. Uh, very intelligent design. Absolutely, yeah, and and like I said at the beginning, you know, for game designers, just very inspiring. Like a lot of times, I'll play a a new game, and um, it'll be great but it won't be very inspiring for some reason. Like, it'll just be right. like, this is kind of, I mean, I suppose maybe I would say that about um, uh, Through the Ages a little bit. Like, Through the Ages was fun. I really enjoyed it. But, like, it didn't send me into, like, a tizzy of game design the way that Puzzle Strike 2 certainly has. Um, right. So that's something I think uh, that's really valuable. Um, yeah. So I guess that's just about all we got. Yep. Sounds good, man. Uh, didn't we end last episode by saying, like, you know, what games are you playing or something along those lines? Uh, maybe, are you playing yeah. Are you playing any new games? I'm playing so many games on specifically on Board Game Arena. I've uh, recently started getting to like playing games asynchronously on there, nice. um, where like you don't have to take you don't have to be like sitting around the table and devoting an hour of time to play a game or whatever. But you kind of like start a game and then you kind of take your turn during your day whenever you have a few minutes. Um, and yeah, um, there's a couple downsides to that, but overall, like it's meant that I've just been playing a wild amount more games. Uh, nice, it's been awesome. I gotta get more into that. Yeah, so probably the games I've been playing most uh, recently are uh, Race for the Galaxy, especially with the the two expansions, uh, Gathering Storm and Rebels vs Imperium. And uh, I've been playing uh, Seven Wonders Duel uh, with the two expansions as well, Pantheon and Agora. And both those games are just excellent. Like played them both like fifty plus times this month. And uh, nice. Yeah, it's been, been awesome. I I played a ton of Race for the Galaxy. I love the first expansion. I'm like I'm like so so on that uh, second Rebels Imperium one. I'm like, I'm like not sure about that one as much. It's got this like it's got this weird like takeovers mechanic. Yeah. That, like we never play with. <laughs> and just like <laughs> some of the cards just like have this mechanic on them. Yeah. And for some reason, like it feels like. Like the cards are still balanced somehow, even like yeah. when you're not using this mechanic. Um, but it, it definitely feels weird to just like have the cards say these things that like are not true or whatever. There's a, there's another expansion after that one, you know. That expansion is crazy. I just started playing that with my brother uh, last year a little bit, and uh, uh -huh. it's awesome. But it's very complicated and weird i went through i got all the expansions because i love race for the galaxy and i went through all the expansions and played with them all a little bit and i ended up just coming back to gathering storm and being like i just like you know i basically like vanilla uh race of the galaxy like plus a little bit um yeah. but i should probably experiment with those other ones a little bit more i think probably my favorite way to play is with all the three of the first expansion arc mm -hmm. um but it definitely it's crazy and like you you want your opponent to have played quite a bit of Race for the Galaxy before diving all the way in. Um, for sure. Well, you you and your opponent. Um, well, I play against the bots, so the bots and they're quite good. I don't know if you play the Keldon bots ever, but um, they're pretty. A couple times, yeah. They're they're pretty tough. Uh, the Android and I think iOS app has the Keldon AI, and uh, yeah, very very good. Recommend that. So, what should we do for our next uh, game? We haven't really have we discussed that already, or I forget. Yeah. I made a list uh, of games that we might uh, try. Um, I was thinking about maybe playing something by Cole Worley. He's like uh, basically my favorite game designer. I've been and, have uh, Root has been on my list for like a four years. So totally, yeah. I was thinking Root. Um, the thing about Root is like it's typically like a four-player game. Oh um, right. But there's a there's a new expansion that just came out that like is supposed to be shoring up the 
the two player experience. Okay. So I'd, I'd be curious to like see like how well that works basically. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking about is he also has a game that's one of my favorite games is called uh, Pax Pamir. Oh yeah. And uh, that's an excellent two player game. Um, so we could do one of those or yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Maybe we'll take a look at that for next time. Sweet. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again, Brett. This has been awesome. Yep. Uh, everybody go check out Puzzle Strike 2. See you next time. Bye.